0: So after he says that he wants to go to uh, Rome, verse 22, chapter 19, and having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy, whom you probably know well, and Erastus, you may not know Erastus well. Uh, He's from Corinth. He was an official in Corinth. Uh, We know that because Paul says that in Romans. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. And you can go to the ruins of Corinth today and see the name of Erastus engraved Uh, in a a paving stone where Erastus is referred to as a city official who helped to pave part of the road there in Corinth. So Erastus was like the city treasurer in Corinth, but they became Christian. They became traveling companions of Paul, Um, so they they get sent ahead to Macedonia, Uh, but Paul stays. As you know, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Well, again, Asia what the Romans called Asia, we sometimes call Asia Minor. Today we call it Turkey. He stayed in Ephesus. He stayed in Ephesus, which was the Roman province of Asia, Turkey. So that lays the background for what's about to ha- happen. Here we're going to end up with Artemis. We're going to end up with the amphitheater, um, and an interesting piece of history. Look at verse 23. About that time there arose no little disturbance. That's a Bible way of saying there arose a great disturbance concerning the way. And we've talked two times now how in the book of Acts, that's our name. We're called the people of the way. We know the way, we're on the way, and Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. That's what we were called in the earliest days of our movement. So uh, a disturbance is created there in Ephesus because of the way. So an inquiring mind should say, wonder what created the disturbance? Look at verse 24. Uh, You're not going to be surprised, it's money that creates the disturbance. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, that's that statue I showed you a while ago, brought no little business, that's a Bible way of saying, brought a lot of business to the craftsman. So um, Demetrius uh, is one of the silversmiths who makes silver, silver idols of Artemis to sell to the pilgrims who come to visit the temple of Artemis In Ephesus. Uh, Notice verse 25. Then he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. The ancient world called those guilds. The modern world calls those unions. So he created all the silver. He got the silversmiths together because they were being faced with a dilemma. Uh, because of St. Paul and his preaching and the people who are becoming Christian. So he gathers the the, the, the the guild together. He gathered together with the workmen and similar trades and said, and here's the um, speech of Demetrius. This is what's going to cause the riot uh, that, that where people want to, want to kill Paul. Here's the speech of Demetrius. Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth, you know, I, I hope if you grew up in the church, if you grew up in Sunday school, you probably were taught that, you, you probably were taught to memorize 1 Timothy 6.10. If you weren't taught to memorize 1 Timothy 6.10, go ahead and do it now. For the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. That's what's going on here. Um, somehow, and you're gonna get the explanation, somehow the presence of Paul, and the growth of the Christian community was going to hurt the silver maker's union or guild. So um, look at verse 26. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, we call it Turkey, in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. So Paul's making it real clear, handmade gods are not gods, gods are useless. Unless you just need something to sit on your shelf to decorate, your little statues of Artemis will do nothing for you. So what does that do to that thriving, booming trade in Ephesus of uh, creating little statuettes or statues of Artemis? Yeah, they take a hit financially. Um, so what, are, what Demetrius is doing here to get people to attack Paul, and it's still as easy to do, by the way, uh, he's going to do three things. He's going to attack civic pride for the sake of the people in Ephesus. He's going to attack their pagan religion that they hold deeply and sincerely to. And you're going to see, not, not Demetrius, but you're also going to see uh, that they're going to, they're going to use anti-Semitism to cause attacks to come. And it's a huge attack. The biggest attack we see on Paul and the early Christians. Um, So it's it's, it's Demetrius. It's all about the love of money. This is costing these uh, idol makers their income. So um, here's Demetrius saying that to everybody. Verse 27, And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, But also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis, you saw our picture, may be counted as nothing. And that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. She whom all Asia and the world worships, or the world as they knew it. There were at least 30 cultic centers for Artemis in Asia Minor, Turkey. So what the Christians are doing is bad for their trade. It's bad for their trade. Um, It was like, let's say, for instance, in Jerusalem. If all of a sudden there were no pilgrims to Jerusalem, they'd starve to death. Well, Ephesus was a major city, and it was a commercial city, but one of the primary ways they made their living is all of these people coming to give worship to the goddess Artemis and one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Artemis. So things start looking financially um, frightening. For these who are making idols. And for most human beings, unless the grace of God is working in their lives, for most human beings, they do what they do. They organize their life the way they organize it. They do what they do each hour of the day for the sake of money. That's just the human condition. And unless the grace of God kind of heals us uh, and, and puts someone else at the center of our life than ourselves in our pursuit of wealth. Um, that, that's the most important thing for a lot of human beings is their wealth, their finances, their security, their resources. So when, when that industry gets threatened by Paul's preaching, the early Christian community, um, it got people's attention. The silversmiths' union gets to work there in Ephesus. So um, verse 28 when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Again, paganism and civic pride. Artemis of the Ephesians. Uh, she, she like had her home. You'll see why in a minute. She like had her home in Ephesus. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, the one I showed you. They rushed together into that theater that holds somewhere between 20,000 and 25,000 people. <laughs> They rushed together uh, into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus. These were Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. Now, want you, there's a couple things that are just fascinating in this text. So they're dragging Christians into the theater. You have the names of at least two of them, Gaius and Aristarchus. These were Macedonians that Paul had led to Christ up in Philippi or Thessalonica, Berea. So they're dragging... These thousands of people—it's a—it's a riot. I think it was Ben Franklin who said that a mob has a lot of heads but no brains. And That's what you got going on here. It's a monster with a lot of heads but no brains. So you got this mob going on here in in Ephesus. They're dragging Christians to a theater, it's not of entertainment in Ephesus in the first century. So the rest of the city showing up to watch this entertainment. And then verse 30 is one of the most fascinating verses in the New Testament. Verse 30. But when Paul wished to go in with the crowd, most of us, if we'd been in Paul's place, who was the one making these Christians, the Spirit was helping to make these Christians, and he he was watching this mob haul these Christians into the theater, and they're angry, and Paul wants to go in. Just let that sink in for a minute. Uh, Again, courage is an important virtue. You can't do the Christian life without some courage. If life and people intimidate you, uh, you can't do the Christian life. Paul had some courage here. He wants to go in. Now, think about it. Why does he want to go in? There's thousands of people showing up in a theater. And if you've ever been to any of these ruins of these uh, ancient amphitheaters anywhere in the ancient world. One of the things that your tour guide will always have you do is someone stand down on the platform, someone get in the seat furthest away. The person on the platform or the stage can say something and they'll hear it in the seat that's furthest away. Acoustics are amazing because sound travels. You know how the seats go up. So here, maybe 20,000 people are going into this amphitheater. They're angry, they're angry at Christians but paul 's courageous enough; he wants to go in my suspicion, my strong suspicion, I think my educated guess is he wants to get an opportunity to speak to these folks. Um, paul liked to preach he didn 't care if you were angry at him or not. if you would just give him a hearing he would he would he would risk the mob, risk the mob in this huge amphitheater. he wants to go in he wants to speak um. That just tells me a lot about the Apostle Paul. We need to work on our virtue of courage or the lack thereof. Um, But Paul wished to go in among the crowd. The disciples would not let him. These are the Christian disciples. These are the people who had come to Christ. They're saying, Paul, we don't think this is a good idea for you to go inside this amphitheater. Uh, So the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, That's what my translation says. Asiarchs were just prominent, Gentile, probably pagan leaders of the city of Ephesus. They're saying to Paul, Paul, don't get involved. Paul, you going in might just exacerbate it. Um, You know, the leaders in Ephesus just wanted to maintain the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. So both the disciples are saying don't go in because we kind of, like having you around, Paul. You're beneficial to the movement. But even some of the city officials are saying, we don't want you going in because, you know, we don't like mob riots. It's not good for the city. Rome doesn't look favorably when people go berserk. And so even the leaders of, of Ephesus saying, don't go in. Uh, and even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him to venture, to not to venture into the theater. Okay, so they're holding Paul off. Verse 32. Now some cried out, one thing, some another, for the assembly. By the way, the word assembly there in the Greek is ecclesia. That is the word for church. Um, You see the connection between ecclesia, ecclesiastical, you know, ecclesiastical, the adjective of the church, ecclesiastical. So when you think about the church, again, we say all the time, the church is not a building, the church is the people. Or here, you can say the church is the assembly. Uh, literally, ecclesia means the, the, the gathered people, the called out gathered people. So here that word is just used for this particular assembly. It's not the church, really. Uh, but anyway, um, now some cried out one thing, some another for the assembly was in confusion. They're, they're a mob. And most of them, watch this. This, this t- teaches something about human nature. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Again, you know, you see a crowd going somewhere, and human nature's a little on the stupid side. I I guess you figured that out by now. They they see a crowd going somewhere, so what do they do? Get in line. They want to see what this crowd's going to. You know, it's the only show in town right now in Ephesus. So some of the people didn't even know what they were angry about. Now, again, a mob has a lot of heads and no brains, Um, as Ben Franklin said. Yeah, I mean, human nature is desperately in need of redemption. We're not the smartest creatures on the earth. Uh, Anyway, you see a picture that's just amazing. Most of them didn't even know why they'd come together, but they came together because there there was energy there. Uh, Anyway, so you got this mob scene happening. Verse 33, some of the crowd prompted Alexander. Don't really know much about this Alexander or really anything about this Alexander. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. So he's probably Jewish. So the Jewish crowd there in Ephesus is putting Alexander forward as their, as their spokesperson. So start thinking, why would the Jews in this mob scene, these Gentiles mostly, Gentile pagans going after the Christians because they've been stirred up by Demetrius, uh, the silversmith union, uh, this mob scene going on, thousands of people. Why do the Jews then get involved? Why do the Jews send in their spokesman? Well, watch it. Um some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. Well again, uh you need to you need to probably insert a couple words there. If the Jews put the Jew, Alexander to the forefront to be their spokesman. He was to make a defense of who you think? The Jews. So he was supposed to tell the crowd, we have nothing to do with this crazy man, Paul. We have nothing to do with these crazy people who are becoming uh, believers in this Jewish Messiah. So the Jews were sort of trying to protect themselves because throughout history, and we know this, usually when there's a mob and there's a mob reaction, it doesn't take much for Jews to start getting massacred. That's been their history. So, any time, even though they weren't the aim, it was a Jewish person that the mob was aimed at, Paul. And um, because of the history of anti-Semitism, frequently, anytime people are angry, anytime people need a scapegoat, the Jews get blamed, and it just doesn't end well for the Jews. Um, that's why throughout European history, we would have, the village would have a passion play and that would stir people up, you know, about the crucifixion of Jesus and the Jews killing Jesus. Usually in European history, after the Passion Play, the next, the next um, scene in the Passion Play after it finished was the killing of Jews in the village. So anytime people get agitated, Jews get nervous because they have a long history because of anti-Semitism uh, of being the scapegoats. So here, here the Jews put forward their Alexander. Uh, to, to make a defense for the Jewish people to this mob. Verse 34, But when they recognized that he was a Jew, yeah, they don't, the people don't like Jews. It's just something in human DNA. But when the people recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They're in the amphitheater. The acoustics are Great. And so they, two hours, the crowd shouts, great is Arnus of the Ephesians. Now, if you just meditate on that for a little while, when I meditate on that, I, I can't help but to see that being demonic, when that crowd has the energy for two hours straight to shout something. Uh, I've actually been in one setting, one setting, where uh, 864 of us were on the main floor and the the stadium seats were filled with people. This is at the end of one of our general conferences. The stadium seats were filled with people who were shouting at us, chanting at us, because of some decisions we made. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty dramatic. You can't really do much business when the, the stands are filled with people shouting at you. But, you know, that only went on for like 15, 20 minutes, and it really, it's, 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 it is rather unnerving have thousands of people, maybe 24,000 people, 25,000 people, they're up there in the stands, they're shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, two hours straight. That almost defies human strength. Um, That's what's going on here. So you see the devil here as the one who deceives, as the one who destroys. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he's trying to do to Paul throughout all of Paul's ministry. And I think this is a perfect display of the demonic. So here they're shouting. Now look what happens. Look how we resolve this. this is, you know, you can, you can begin to think, the people who really are charged with keeping peace in Ephesus on behalf of their Roman overlords who like peace, uh, they don't like, you know, their property damaged by mobs. So you can begin to think that the leaders there in Ephesus... Um, they're probably concerned that things are beginning to get out of hand uh, here at the the amphitheater. So look who speaks next. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, I think it is the New Living Translation. If you have the New Living Translation in front of you, it tries to help you out. Instead of town clerk, I think it says mayor. So the mayor decides he needs to step in and help the situation. So you've had a speech from Demetrius, the head of the silversmiths' guild. You've had a, a... There was tried to be a speech from Alexander who was kind of on behalf of... Speaking on behalf of the Jewish community in Ephesus. But now you've got the city official. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said... And that was quite a job to quiet the crowd. But I guess he's mayor. Somehow he got their attention. Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis. So he's saying, you know, nobody's going to hurt our reputation. The whole world knows we're the home of Artemis. The whole world knows we have one of the wonders of the ancient world, the temple to Artemis. So he's trying to say, calm down. You know, they cannot ruin or eradicate our reputation as the home of Artemis. He's just trying to calm the crowd. So he says, you know, the whole world knows that, that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis. And watch this. And of the sacred stone, of uh, the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Now, King James, because the, the, the Greek there is a little ambiguous, King James says, of the sacred stone that fell from Jupiter, Jupiter is like Zeus. Jupiter is Zeus for the Romans, head of the gods. Uh, but most of us know what that means. Some stone fell from heaven. And of course, the pagans would have thought it came from Jupiter or Zeus. But some sacred stone fell from heaven. And that's that's the reason that Ephesus became, you know, kind of the home base for the goddess Artemis or Diana. Um, if you have a study Bible, which I hope you have a study Bible, I can't. I'm not smart enough to get by without a study Bible. I hope you have a study Bible. If you have a study Bible, there's probably a note at that point that probably says what this probably was. What was it? Yeah, meteorite. meteor, meteorite probably fell. And that would have gotten the attention of the people in Ephesus. They probably took the meteorite and they carved it into Artemis. And that became the statue of Artemis. And the ancient world would have invested that with a lot of supernatural power and strength. So something fell from the heavens and that's what made Ephesus become the head of the, the worship of the goddess Artemis. It probably was a meteorite that fell. Verse 36, I don't think Zeus sent something. I don't think Jupiter sent something. I think it's probably a meteorite that fell. Verse 36, seeing then that these things cannot be denied, this is again the mayor still speaking, these things cannot be denied, the whole world knows it. You ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. So he's saying, just calm down. The world knows this is the home of Artemis. The world knows that we got the statue that fell from the heavens. So just calm down and be quiet. Again, you know the motivation of the politician here. He's the mayor of the city. He's trying to calm down the mob. Uh, Verse 37, for you have brought these men. Now, this is what Luke really wants you to see. This is why Luke includes this story. This is why Luke includes several of these stories in the book of Acts. For you have brought these men here. This is the Roman official saying this. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious. And by the way, again, some of your translations help you understand what sacrilegious means. It literally means, I think it's, again, the New Living Translation that helps you out on this. Sacrilegious literally means they did not steal from the temple. They did not steal the holy things. So these men are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. Uh, they have not said bad things about our goddess. Uh, which tells me something about Paul. When he went to preach, he didn't usually focus on attacking them. He didn't focus on attacking their ways. He didn't focus on attacking their religion. And you, you know Paul. He's a friend of yours now. What do you think Paul focused on? You can say it. Probably Jesus is a good guess. That's you. That's almost always a good guess when you're sitting in church. Um, Yeah, he probably focused on Jesus. He focused on the way. He focused on the Messiah. He didn't spend time. He didn't waste time on focusing on Artemis. That's why the mayor, who's trying to calm people down, and I don't think he's lying at this point, he says, as far as I know, he's not even spoken against our goddess. Um, But what he's doing is costing the, the the idol maker some. Some revenue. But again, that says something about how we should do this. You know, one of the things that gives me comfort throughout the day, anytime I walk into a dark room and I turn on the light, guess what? The darkness has no choice but to flee. And that's what we, in the Christian community, our job is to keep turning on the light. If we turn on the light, Bible's full of... We're to be light bearers. We're the light of the world. We turn on the light, the darkness flees. Now, if you walk in the room and don't turn on the light and just start shouting at the darkness, somebody might come lead you away gently. Yeah, don't just shout at the darkness. Don't focus on the darkness. We don't ignore it, but it's not effective. If you want to attack the darkness, you don't attack the darkness by going directly after the darkness. And some Christians need to learn this lesson in the midst of our culture wars, by the way. Uh, You don't attack the darkness by directly attacking the darkness. You attack the darkness by turning on the light. And that's what Paul did. He preached Jesus. He he preached the scriptures. He didn't have to... he, 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 He would have been an expert, by the way. He would have been an expert in pagan theology and pagan worship. He knew all about Artemis. You know, if I'd have been Paul, I probably wouldn't have been smart enough. I'd have said, you know, this this is a weird-looking goddess you people are worshiping. And that wouldn't have gotten any traction with the people there in Ephesus. So I don't think the mayor is lying here. They weren't sacrilegious, and they weren't speaking blasphemy about their religion. So they were just sharing the truth. You know, again, we don't focus on the falsehood. Focus on the truth, turn the light on, and the darkness has to flee. Um, sometimes, you know, we just need to learn to... One of my favorite quotations is this from Hudson Taylor. And I bet I've told churches, particularly people who are in leadership in churches for years, God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. What we all have a tendency to do sometimes is we want to do God's work. There's a lot of ways to do God's work, but we have to do it God's way. We have to do it God's way. You know, him going into Ephesus and attacking those people directly would not have been God's way of doing it. God's work done God's way. It's not just enough to try to do God's work. you got to do it God's way. God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. So uh, that's. I'm sure the mayor's being truthful here. Uh, these people that you're screaming about, they, they've neither been sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. Verse 38 is a wrap-up. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen, with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. I like that. The court is in session. There's a way to adjudicate this. There is a proper process. If you want to attack them as somehow um, undermining your business practices, Bring it to court, not a mob, uh, not a mob, not a riot. Uh, if therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone. The courts are open, and there are pro Who's the most famous, probably the only pro you know from Bible? Pontius Pilate. Um, pro counsel Pont- Pontius Pilate. That was his rule. That's what he was doing. Um, in, um, in Judea. He was ruling on behalf of Rome. So here the mayor of the city, who would have been a local, is saying the courts are open and there are proconsuls. There are representatives from Rome here. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. There's that word again, assembly. And what, what is meant here is not the mob. What is meant here is the governing body. It shall be settled in the regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today. Again, as long as you paid your taxes and kept the peace, Rome was happy with you and left you alone most of the time in the Roman Empire. But if you didn't pay your taxes or you did not keep the peace, yeah, Rome could come down very hard on you. That's why that's what this civic official is concerned about. For we really are in danger. Of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. Commotion. So that's the end of the mayor's speech. And then verse 41 ends it. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Evidently they quietened down, they calmed down. This irrational mob got a little, they recovered a little bit of sanity and reasonableness and they listened to their mayor and they just finally went away. Um, two things here. I mean, why, is it, why is Luke bothering to tell you this piece of Roman history or history from the, the city of Ephesus? One of, one of Luke's primary reasons for doing that, showing you that this happening to Paul, this is what Paul, Luke does this several times in the book of Acts. Because again, where does the book of Acts end? The book of Acts ends, when you get there eventually, in chapter 28, with Paul in prison in Rome. A lot of us think the book of Acts was written by Luke to be Paul's defense before Rome. Um, and, and in essence, what, what, what this is saying is, you know, the person ruling Ephesus on behalf of Rome, um, the local ruling on behalf of Rome, the, pro, um, the mayor, says, I'm not sure there's anything been done wrong here. Um, take them to the pro-councils. And what you'll see later in the book of Acts as we start heading toward Rome now, there will be some uh, other rulers who will say when they deal with Paul, I don't think he's done anything wrong. What Luke wants you to see, it was not the Roman Empire that, at least at this stage in history, it was not the Roman Empire who came after the Christians. It was the Jewish community, Jewish religious leaders who came after the Christians, or in this case, the guild or the union who was afraid that their money, their revenue was going to take a hit. But the Roman Empire, you don't see the Roman Empire in the book of Acts ever saying Christianity is a terrible thing. That's why a lot of us think the book of Acts is, is was written by Luke to be part of the defense of Paul before before the tribunal in Rome. The other thing that I want you to notice about this text, um, and this is what, where it really speaks to me, Here's Ephesus, major, large, vibrant, cosmopolitan, um, commercial, uh, religious center in the Roman world. Very pagan, uh, the center of the worship of uh, Artemis. It, it had one of the seven wonders, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, Temple of Artemis. Um, you see what it looks like today? It's gone. It's ruins. There is no more. There is no city of Ephesus. The only thing you have is the ruins of Ephesus. One of the things, by the way, that did Ephesus in, to show you how fragile the things that we think give us security can be, if you go to Ephesus, what you realize today, you are five miles, I think, something like that, from the water. The river Caster that connected Ephesus to the ocean silted up so when it silted up guess what happened to Ephesus there went their livelihood and here they're worrying about making statues but something worse is going to happen they lose their livelihood simply because nature took its course and silted up and today that's why Ephesus is like four or five miles away from the coastline in Paul's day you could step off the ship and step into Ephesus but today Ephesus is no more kings and kingdoms they'll pass away So you need to be careful where you put your sense of security. Now, don't put your sense of security in anything that you will lose. And life is all about losses. We go through a series of losses till we lose our life itself and step on the other side. So make sure you're not putting your security in things like uh, you you make statues of the goddess uh, Artemis and you're making a really good living right now because of that. There's no security in that sort of thing. That's why it's amazing now to. You go to Rome, you can walk the forum, the ruins of ancient Rome. You can walk the ruins of ancient Ephesus. You can walk the ruins of ancient Corinth. You can walk the ruins of ancient Philippi. Um, They don't exist anymore. Now, the people in those days could not have imagined a world without them. They could not have imagined a world that was not like the world they knew. Uh, we need to be careful where we seek our sense of security. And um, when I go to Delphi, Delphi is in Greece, and that's where the oracle of Delphi is. Um, one of the things I always take a picture of that I like in Delphi, because you go there, that's where the Delphic oracle was. The Greeks said it was the navel of the universe. It was the center of the world. It was one of the most prevailing cities in ancient Rome no more it's not there but there's one place cause after Delphi fell after the city of Delphi was long gone there was a church there and there's one big piece of um, archaeological remains there in Delphi which is really sort of a really large, large cross engraved in a, in, a, in, a, in a huge block of granite and every time I see that, I, 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 I know who has conquered, and I know who will conquer when I see a cross like that in the ruins of the ancient majesty of Delphi. Uh, yeah, make sure you put your sense of security in things that will give you some security. Most of us spend our lives seeking security in things that we can and will eventually lose. So, um, you know, when I, I hope that this mayor... This guy who calmed the crowd down, and he was being self-serving. He was calming the crowd down on behalf of the city. Um, if he ended up being a believer and he's in heaven, I'd love to have a chat with him. He seems like a pretty smart guy. You know he seems like a pretty smart guy, and um, I'd like to meet him one day if he uh, you know, Paul's going to stay there a little while longer. And we'll pick up in chapter 20 when we come back after Christmas. And that's when Paul leaves Ephesus and he goes to Macedonia. And you're going to see how emotional it is when Paul takes leave of the Christians there in Ephesus because he spent the longest single period of time that he spent anywhere in the city of Ephesus. So let's pray together. God we are grateful for this day we're grateful for truth may we never seek may, may we never quit seeking for truth and may we realize that you are truth and it is in you we find truth we thank you God that you love us so much you you love us so much you don't want to leave us in ignorance so you have written your word for us you have revealed your will for us You have given us more than we need to live faithful lives here and enjoy heaven one day. So we thank you for the word that you've given us. Help us to submit to that word. Help us to live lives that bring glory to Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So have a wonderful Christmas. If you have nothing else to do, I'd love to see you on Christmas Eve. uh, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 11 o'clock. pays your money, takes your choice, and show up in any of those services. Loves the see you on Christmas Eve.